Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back, everybody, to Contractor Evolution. This is Benji. Call handlers, business development reps, or BDRs, office managers, and inside salespeople are the unsung heroes in many organizations because the way that calls get handled has a direct impact on how much revenue you do, how efficient your marketing spend is, how amicable and easygoing the customer is when the crew arrives, and how your brand is perceived in the marketplace overall. It's the first impression a customer has of your business, and if done poorly, which many are, it will be their last. Now, as the founder of your business, you no doubt already know how your customers like to be spoken to, empathized with, and persuaded over the phone. But now that your business is bigger, are you 100% confident that the call handlers in your organization are making the most of these oh-so-critical touch points? Now, we are very fortunate to have Zach Garside, CEO of Power Selling Pros, on the show today. Power Selling Pros helps customer service representatives and entire call centers boost their booking percentage and create amazing customer experiences from that very first interaction. So today you can expect to learn why rigid call scripts don't work, how to train your call handlers to build value, use strategic empathy and ask for the business. And lastly, we'll go through the six KPIs you need to objectively measure call handling success. So whether you're doing all the calls yourself still, or you're on a 25 person call center, you're going to get a ton of value from this conversation with Zach. So let's dive in. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Zach, what's up, my guy? It's good to see you. I'm wonderful. How are you? Welcome to the show. Um, I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, so right off the top, here's an easy question for you. What are your clients complaining about suffering with? What are they saying? What are the literal words that are coming out of their mouth before they start working with you guys at Power Selling Pros? Such a beautiful question. Grateful to, to be here, by the way. There are five things that our clients complain about all the time, and these are the words that they use to describe those complaints. Number one, I'm just not booking enough jobs. I'm paying money so that customers will call me, but I'm only booking 60% of those leads. So that's number one, is low conversion rates. You get 100 phone calls, 60 of them become customers, 40 of them went and did business with somebody else. So you just paid for your competitors' ad costs. That's number one. Number two, poor customer experience. What contractors usually say is, I cringe when I hear my phone calls. I cannot believe the sound when I walk out into my office and hear how these guys and girls are talking to my customers. That's the second thing. The third thing is I need to get my team on the same page. I need to get my team aligned around a consistent message. 
I need it to be a wow experience no matter who picks up the phone. Right now, Sally's amazing, but John is terrible or vice versa. So I need to get everybody speaking the same language to the customer. The fourth thing is what I call the cool uncle effect. It is, I've been trying to get my team to do this stuff for years, for months, and it's just not clicking. I feel like if I just had that third party voice to come in and tell my team how to talk to the customer, how to book the job, we could get some results. So it's really about having an outside voice come in uh, that's unbiased, that's not so close to the emotions of the business. And then the fifth and final reason is generally companies that already have a deep culture of training, they value it and they're going to invest in it and do it no matter what, because it's just who they are, mm. which by the way, there's something beautiful about that. They simply don't have the time to meet with every CSR or customer service representative or call handler, whichever term you use for that role in your business. And so they come to us to help them make that happen. I think that I think that comment about like walking through the office and, and and like cringing at what you're hearing being said or how the calls are going or whatever is very real to me. Like I um, that is a it's resonant because like you, you learn how to talk to clients, how to set up estimates well, how to, how to, how to convert things efficiently. And then when you pass it off, it's like, it's, you kind of go red in the face. You're like, no, you idiot. Like <laughs> say it like this. Um, yeah. so I totally feel that. And, and have you thought, I'm sure you have, um, just about why the skill of call handling why, like, you know, CSRs or BD, uh, what do they call them? Uh, uh, BDRs or like the, like the people in businesses who handle phone calls, either inbound or outbound to usually set up appointments or do follow-ups, why that is such a fundamental thing to success and growth for a blue-collar business like the ones we work with? Well, for starters, they're the first impression of the company. Period. Last impression if you mess it up. Mm -hmm. They're the person who that hopeful, at, but at the same time downtrodden and upset customer who didn't want to have to call you, right? Nobody woke up in the morning and said, gee, I'm curious what the local plumbing or HVAC company charges. Like, let's just call around and get some estimates, you know? Mm. That is not a conversation people are having in their heads. They're calling you because something is wrong. So if the person who answers that phone call does so with anything less than absolute positivity and eagerness to talk to the customer and be of service, that customer will hang up and call somebody else. We often think that customers don't book jobs with us because the price was too high or we couldn't get out there soon enough. In reality, most customers are deciding whether or not they want to work with you based on the tone and attitude of the call taker who picks up the phone. It's that first five seconds that they're making the judgment call. Everything after that, they're just looking for excuses to end the call. Mm. They'll say, oh, yeah, you know, it's just a little more than we wanted to pay. In reality, they just didn't like talking to you. They don't like you. Mm. And so they're going to call till they find someone they do like. Because they're not really going to save that much if they call a competitor. Like, what, $10 on the dispatch charge, maybe 20 bucks, And then a little bit on the actual service or sale. The price is never so significantly different to truly drive a customer's loyalty. It's about whether they like you or not. Yeah, that first impression piece 
and the the fact that they often not always but often might be in like not the best mood about the phone call in the first place um, does give a, a a perspective to this I I hadn't seen before. Can you describe briefly like who you guys are, what you do? Just like give us the elevator pitch on power selling pros and why you guys exist and who you help. Yeah. When I'm at when I'm at an event or a trade show, I meet somebody new. I start by asking them, "Do you have people answering your phones for you?" If the answer is yes, I ask this question: You know how those people sometimes don't book every job or miss important details? And overwhelmingly, everybody says, "Oh, yes, of course. Like, yeah, we're we're always missing things, or we don't book all the jobs." I say, "We hold them accountable to booking every call, wowing every customer, and getting all the details right." We listen to your phone calls and we meet with each individual call handler and we coach them up. We give them personalized feedback on how their calls not only sound, but the result, whether or not they're booking that job and getting the customer on your schedule. Mm -hmm. um, how, how important is the identity piece around CSRs? How should they look at themselves, feel about themselves within the context of a business? Well, let me put it this way. Anytime a person describes what they do for a living with the word just, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. When somebody asks you, what do you do? If you say, I just fill in the blank, you know, I just work in maintenance. I'm just a technician. Or as our call handlers often say about themselves, I just answer the phones. That's a really sad way for people to see themselves. We often get so wrapped up in the processes and the systems that we try to implement in our companies that we forget about identity. The reason that people jump from diet program to diet program to diet program, never losing weight, never getting results, is because in their mind, they still believe I'm unfit, I'm out of shape, I'm fat, I am fill in the blank. I can't achieve results. I can't hit my goals. As long as that identity and belief is there, it doesn't matter what system you use. It's never going to work. There has to be a shift in identity from I just answer phones to I'm the voice of the company. I am the first impression of this business. I have a direct impact on revenue. It's a tangible impact that I can see. You got to let your people know they're the voice of the company. They make a direct impact on the results of the company and give them attention uh, if you want them to perform well. Is, it, is just, it is it been your experience that most of the time they don't look at themselves like that? Like they use that I just answer the calls, you know, framework, I just insert blank framework. That's kind of, they, they look at their role or their position or their stature within the business in a more downtrodden way than they should. Yes, the majority are that way. The majority of CSRs see themselves as less than. Yeah. To illustrate for you, I'll tell you two stories. Uh, one is I used to be a CSR in tech. So I used to work at a tech company, really big, fastest company in history to reach a $1 billion valuation. Uh, this was a very exciting job, very exciting company. I thought I was going to be in account management, like doing upsells and work with clients, but it turned out to just be support. Uh, in the job, there's one day in particular where the sales team walks to the back of the office, they get into this big meeting, everyone's smiling, laughing, patting each other on the shoulder, and the sales manager 
wheels back a cart with smoothies and chocolate and fruit and acai bowls. They're having a great time. Meanwhile, at the support department, if we've got the music in the office turned up past like one out of 10 on the volume dial, we're getting yelled at. After the sales meeting, they all go back to their seats feeling lifted up. Everybody's paying attention to them. And the sales manager walks over to the support team with the leftovers. Mm -hmm. And he says, hey, customer support team, I thought you guys would like these leftovers. A couple of my coworkers are like, oh, sweet. I'm, I'm smacking wrists like, don't you take their, we're not their dogs. You know, we're not taking their leftovers. <laughs> Same thing happened with a client that we trained in HVAC. We went to visit this client, trained their customer service team in person. But before the training, we met with the managers of the company, ownership, uh, office management, and they had donuts in their meeting, fresh donuts brought in. So our trainer, Steven, asks them, can I guess where the leftover donuts are going? And they said, oh, yeah, we're going to take them to the customer support team. We're going to take them to the office. And he said, of course, you're going to give them the leftovers because you'd never buy them fresh donuts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you see stuff like that play out everywhere in companies all over. It's just a CSR team. There's high turnover. That's just how it is. Yeah. That's what one client said to me. Yeah. It's interesting. The sales guys get all the glory. The closers get all the glory. And the the team in the trenches who are, you know, really doing a higher volume of calls, they're getting rejected and said no to a lot more often. They're doing the dirty work in the corners that, you know, the closers are too cool to do. Um, it's, it's weird to me that, that, uh, you know, the, the, the credit or the perceived credit or who, who gets the acai bowls is kind of inversed. Yeah. And it's uh, and I'm not advocating for like taking glory away from sales. Cause I, I, the reason I left support and I got into sales at one point for this very reason, you know, um, was I like, I, I saw a greater path to generating a higher income, uh, meaning more to, to the to my business by being in sales right yeah but uh share the glory right like the the customer service reps talk to as you said way more people not just a couple more 10 Orders times more magnitude. people yeah yeah way more yeah yeah than than the technicians and the sales people so besides the identity piece and getting people to see themselves differently, there's also like quite a structured approach to training and teaching and and and, and like implementing a better set of best practices around do around handling these calls. Do you want to maybe just take us through your principles? I think you call it uh, like a pattern for excellence. Like what is it that you uh, that you teach exactly? Wonderful question. Well, we realized very early on that scripting while a good launching pad is very limiting. Most companies want a script and they try to come up with scripts for sales and service and customer complaints. The problem with the script is guess who doesn't follow the script? The customer. The customer. <laughs> the customer doesn't care about your script. Uh, so you got a CSRs, salespeople everywhere holding the script in their hands. And as soon as the customer doesn't follow it, they get completely lost. It's too because rigid. It, it's too fixed. It's not dynamic. Right. There's no flex. So when so yeah. you you and I think you write it with the with with all the the right ideas. But what you forget about is there's a human being who's emotional, erratic, upset, cheap, 
um, time pressed, whatever that you're trying to force through a skip a script, and they want they want to go and are gonna go where they want to go conversationally, and that's why you almost need. I almost think of it more of like. Like I like I always like the term framework because a framework is like, okay. I have like a tool belt and I will use various tools based on what I'm getting. Whereas a script is like we start here and we end there and there's these middle points we need to hit and it's like that's just not how people operate. That's right. The problem, in addition to it being too rigid, is the scripts are generally designed with our comfort and our benefit in mind. We're trying to optimize for what's most efficient for us, not what's the best experience for the customer. Yeah. So it's a very selfish approach where it should be empathy driven, right? All all failed marketing and sales and all failed business, right? Most failed companies fail because they never find product market fit because they they are not driven by empathy for the market. They're driven by their own ideas and insights and ego. So we don't teach... Here's a script, follow it. We teach a framework of eight principles, eight principles that should be at play in every single customer conversation. How you apply those principles and what specifically they sound like is up to you. But there are eight principles that should always be there. What are the and eight? They are, they are number one, be positive. Simple enough, be positive. I told you that the customer is deciding whether they want to work with you based on the tone and attitude that you greet them with. So be positive when you pick up that phone. Uh, number two is be prepared. Have, have you practiced before you got on that phone call? Are you prepared for an objection? Are you prepared for whatever concern they may give you? Uh, I'll tell you what, if your CSRs are not practicing a role-playing with you or their manager, guess who they're role-playing with? Your customers. Right. So you gotta be prepared, that's number two. Number three is listen. Listen before you go into the logistics, before you ask for their address or before you try to book the job or tell them what your schedule looks like. Listen to what's going on. Listen to how it's affecting them and their life and their schedule. The fourth thing is care. Show empathy. Validate this customer's concerns. I coached a customer service rep one time who spoke, uh, she worked for an appliance company and this customer had a broken ice maker. And this customer was distraught, very emotional, upset yeah. about this Beside ice being broken. Yeah, that's oh, tough. Yeah. That's tough. First world problems. <laughs> right. Well, that was essentially what the CSR said to me. Because <laughs> the, the CSR was super dismissive on the call. Like, okay, like we can't look, we can't get out there till Friday, she said. It's just an ice maker. Uh, What's the big deal? Uh, yeah. That's exactly what she said to me. I said, yeah. what drove your approach on that call? She says, it's just an ice maker. I don't understand what the big deal is. Yeah, yeah. I said, well, that's the thing is you don't know what the big deal is. The ice maker is the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Well, when you look at an iceberg, 99% of it is beneath the surface. You can't see it all. You don't know what else is going on in that customer's life. You don't know that they just got laid off. They just got hit with a $2,000 hospital bill. You don't know that their uh, tire blew out on their car yesterday or that they, you know, their son got arrested for going 20 miles over the there's all kinds yeah, of things yeah. all happening. they want is an ice cold triple gin and tonic with ice <laughs> in their freezer and now they can't have it so that's, that's what's going right. on you can tell i'd be a terrible csr um 
I'd be a terrible CSR. But I love that point. I want to. I want to come back to this empathy point in a minute because I think there's more here to unpack. What uh, What What are the other kind of like elements of these eight principles that we that you that you were listing off? Yeah, number five is reassure. So tell the customer you've called the right place. We can help you. We've got this taken care of. You're in good hands. You'd be shocked at how many call handling teams don't reassure the customer they're in the right place. We just assume that because they called us, they trust us, but that is not true. You need to reassure them that they can trust you and vocally explain to them, we can help you. This is something we can absolutely do. You've called the right place. We've got your back. The sixth thing is you've got to ask for the business. Don't just answer their questions, ask them to book an appointment with you. Mr. Jones, when would you like us to come out? I have an appointment this afternoon, can I book that for you? Uh, you'd be surprised once again, how many customer service reps answer the phone, answer all of the customer's questions, and then they say, all right, you're welcome, have a wonderful day. And they don't even book the job. Right. Then they think, well, I did a good job on that call because I answered all the customer's questions. Why? Yeah, because they're nervous? They're like too afraid to like be that forward or they just forget? Sometimes they forget. Uh, a lot of times it's nerves. Like they don't want to feel salesy or pushy. Right. But it's not salesy. It's not pushy. You are, if you don't book that job, you are abandoning the customer. You are leaving them worse off. You are doing them a disservice mm. by letting somebody who has a problem you can solve walk away without solving it. Mm -hmm. You got to ask for that appointment. The seventh thing is you've got to build value before you present price. I don't ever want to hear you say it's going to be $79 for us to come out. Because first of all, nobody wants to pay $79 for you to quote unquote, come out. Like I'll pick the guy up myself. I will get him an Uber. I will drive there and I will let him you know, use my tools in my truck. Uh, so don't tell them you charge $79 to come out or it's going to be a $79 diagnostic. Build value. Explain what is going to happen. Mr. Jones, we're going to send out a licensed technician. He's going to have a fully stocked truck that's marked with our company logo on the side. You'll know it's him as soon as he pulls up. And when he gets there, he's going to do a thorough inspection of your system to determine what's wrong. After his inspection, he'll sit down, do an in-home consultation with you, let you know what all your options are, and to have him come out and do all that, it's only $79. Mm -hmm. That's very different from it's $79 for us to come out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One, there's value. The other, there is no value. Mm -hmm. So build value before you present the price. And then finally, number eight is be grateful. Show that customer you are thankful that they called, that of all the companies they could have reached out to, they reached out to you. So express gratitude to them. I want to um, pick up a few things in no particular order here. Uh, that reassurance piece is really important. Um, I'm thinking of when I make service calls and the peace and calm or whatever comes over me when someone on the other line goes, yeah, yeah, no, I totally understand what's going on. I can totally um, understand that's frustrating. You have called the right place or we are the right people to help with this or insert sentence that makes me feel like the number I dialed two minutes ago was the right one and not the wrong one. What, have you thought about what's going on there like psychologically in the mind of the consumer, in the mind of the potential buyer that makes that reassurance part so important? That's a wonderful question. 
Uh, I've never been asked it like that. But yes, I have thought about it. I can tell you exactly what's happening in the customer's mind, in fact. There are three primary emotions. You ever heard that term, the emotional roller coaster? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it's an emotional roller coaster. I'm about to reveal the emotions of the emotional roller coaster. Okay, because there there are actually a sequence. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so buckle up. So first things first is stress. That's emotion number one that a customer is calling you with. They're stressed. They're uptight. They're upset. Something is wrong. And the the chemical in our brain that is causing us to feel stress is cortisol. So you've got cortisol when you feel hot and you feel like it's like 10 degrees warmer in here than it was two minutes ago. Your heart is racing. You're upset. That's cortisol. Yep. It's the literal chemical that causes the feeling of stress. The second uh, feeling is the feeling of empathy or oxytocin, the feeling of care, connection. Yeah. When you tell the customer, we can help you, you've called the right place. You've officially made their cortisol levels drop and their oxytocin levels rise. Now they feel a connection to you. They feel safe. They feel reassured. And they're not going to call somebody else mm-hmm. because they're not going to go through the trouble of re-explaining the whole thing and going through that emotional pain of, cortisol and stress again because now they feel at ease so you're literally triggering when you tell them we can help you've called the right place we've got your back you're literally triggering triggering a chemical reaction in the person's brain that it's not just stress anymore it's now connection empathy oxytocin Mm -hmm. the final emotion of the roller coaster when we book the call and we say thank you so much for giving us a call it's our pleasure to serve you you're triggering the release of dopamine the feeling of achievement of accomplishment like make that customer feel like they have achieved and accomplished something positive yeah. by yeah. working with you. Yeah, it's like it's like yes, I crossed something off the list. I got something done. That thing that was nagging me, that phone call that I've been meaning to make for three days, but I put it off because I'm busy and I don't want to do it because they're going to give me bad news or it's going to be expensive. Uh, I have that done. Dopamine hit. Moving on to the next thing uh, in their day in yeah. their life, whatever. So I, I, uh, I know I put you on the spot there, but that's a really great, like, quite scientific uh, answer to the question. It's like uh, cortisol uh, to oxytocin to uh, dopamine is why that reassurance piece is so important because you're basically delivering that to them, uh, and that obviously would greatly reduce the chance they go call someone else. Okay, positivity is something I want to ask you about. You know, these um, people who are making phone calls a lot. And by the way, we're talking about this in the context, it sounds like, you know, of um, maybe an HVAC company or maybe like a junk removal company or like a service provider where the customer is always calling the company because they have a problem, an acute problem, a pain a need that needs to be dealt with. But I also think that this whole conversation, this whole framework, everything we're talking about also works for businesses like a remodeler or a painting business or a landscaper where people are like maybe actually excited about getting the work done too. So it's not just, it's this isn't only, you know, work for like emergency responders. It, it works for people handling phone calls in a salesy environment where they're trying to convert the phone call, whether it's inbound or outbound into an appointment. So I just I, w- I wanted to like mention that here along the way as I ask about the positivity front because whether you are a you know first responder in an HVAC company picking up you know a hundred phone calls a day with people who are upset and overheating and mad or 
you are working for a landscape business who installs the most high-end, beautiful front yards and backyards and retaining walls and pools and ponds in the world. Either way, both of those call environments are a grind and you get worn down and you get a lot of no's and you get a lot of no shows and you get a lot of people who don't pick up. You get a lot of people who tell you to screw off, whatever. If you thought about how to maintain, how to sustain, uh, there are like tips and tricks on just like how to be upbeat for hours and hours a day doing something that is essentially in the trenches. Oof, what a wonderful question. Uh, yes, thought a lot about that. I've, I think a lot about that now, uh, especially as the CEO of Power Seven Pros. Yeah, I bet. Not yeah. not only are we coaching one thousand thirty five customer service representatives as I speak this, but we have forty coaches. Yeah, who are doing that all day every and. If you've, you've coached people, totally. it's exhausting. It's yeah. a lot of, it's a lot of emotional energy to have like a 30 minute coaching session with somebody. So there's a couple of things. Number one, there is a, have you ever heard of the five love languages by Gary yeah. Chapman? Yeah. Great book. Have, mm -hmm. have you, have you seen the five languages of appreciation in the workplace? I haven't. It sounds like I should read that though. Yeah. That's also by him and it's much less known. But it's essentially the same principles applied to the workplace. Everybody has five languages of appreciation, uh, or one of, if not a combination of, quality time, uh, physical touch, which would be high fives or handshakes, words of affirmation. I'm blanking out on the other gifts. two right now. Uh, yeah, gifts and acts of service. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, gifts and acts of service, the last two. So if you want your people to feel energized, you need to stop thinking about managing them in terms of what's going to scale. And you need to instead think about what does each individual person need to feel energized and appreciated? Mm. Because energy is a very hard thing to transmit or transfer, I should say, from you to an entire team of people. Like, let me just give them a rah-rah speech. And I'm sure the whole office and all the technicians and everybody who works here will be energized. Find out about each individual. What do they like? What do they dislike? What's who? What's going on in their kids' lives? Uh, what is their language of appreciation? Yeah. And make it a point to show them that appreciation because that will give them energy more than anything. So this is your advice to lead, like actual leaders and how to like lead lead teams of CSRs or call handlers in a business and and provide them energy. And and I think the message which um, rings so true to me is it's not like. I think too often we want to just like broadcast the message. We want to basically like make the announcement over the PA system or like you say, give the rah-rah speech in the team huddle on Monday and then and then that that should be good. And, um, you know, I, I think unfortunately when it comes to uh, people and their day-to-day -day motivation, it is done one-on-one. -on -one. It's, it's, it's not done as a bulletin point in a meeting. And so knowing the individual needs of the call handlers in your business, or if it's just one, knowing, you know, is it a high five or is it an active service? And being able to deliver that to them uh, with some regularity would be a great way to, to help them sustain the energy needed to do this effectively over time. That's right. Yeah. One by one, one person at a time, one individual. Everything, we, we often, as you said, think about things in terms of broadcasting it. But again... 
that's our perspective. That's our desire to be efficient. Well, we just want to be, we're just lazy. We're just, we want to be expedient. And I'm serious. I'm serious. That's, that's honestly, yeah. it's like, I want to, um, <laughs> Hey, we're having a problem with expense reports, not getting filled out by employees on time and accurately. I'd rather just broadcast this in the meeting and hope that that solves the problem when in reality, <laughs> hey, not saying this to anyone in particular, but, blah, you know, can you please do this? Right? It's like in reality, what needs to happen is you need to talk to Jason, the person who's consistently doing this one on one in private and be like, here's how to do it right. So, I'm, you know, that's just a, a goofy example. But I think the same thing applies to, to motivating people. And, you know, why would we do that if we can just kind of like uh, announce? Announce, announce a platitude in a meeting and hope that works. But the reality is it doesn't. And so that's why I think I'm, I'm pro do it one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, absolutely. Can we Every talk about this, received by individuals. Can we talk about this empathy thing for a sec? One of the things that I notice a lot or drives me crazy when I'm, uh, when I've worked with salespeople and, and, uh, I'm trying to coach or provide feedback and I am not a great trainer. It's, uh, let's, let's be, let's be clear about that. Um, I don't have the patience for it, but one of the things that, um, always drives me crazy when I'm listening in on calls is, um, not using strategic empathy. And so by that, what I mean is this. In a in maybe a phone call or maybe it's like an in person meeting and I'm doing a ride along or I'm I'm doing a buddy estimate or whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> the customer says something they share something about their pain about their suffering about their struggle about their problems, and the salesperson goes, the salesperson for whatever reason, just blows past it when in reality what that was was an incredible moment for you to go. Oh, yeah, that's really hard. That that reminds me of this time when blah, 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 blah. And you level with them. And those empathy moments where you're able to say, I see what you're going through and I felt something similar before and let me tell you about that. That is what inks deals. That is what closes stuff. That is what gets contracts. And I wonder um, maybe how, how you coach that or how you work on that in the context of phone calls. Because at the end of the day, you are trying to convert them into a meeting. This is a sales game to some degree. What role does empathy play in your guys' coaching framework and how do you guys work on it with, with the people you coach? Hmm. Well, you're right. Everybody works in sales. Everybody. If you don't think you're in sales, you're in sales. Um, empathy, you referred to, you, you refer to it as strategic empathy yeah. a second ago. Uh, Chris Voss, who wrote Never Split the Difference, he called it tactical empathy. Um, when we are teaching people how to empathize and why, first and foremost, going back to the science of the brain, the part of the brain that makes decisions, the limbic brain, is also the part of the brain that controls emotion. The neocortex, the part of the brain that analyzes information, has no capacity for decision-making. So you have to connect with the feeling part of the brain if you want people to take action. You have no choice. It's that or you don't get any deal. You don't get an appointment. You get nothing if you don't connect emotionally with people. So that's why. Mm -hmm. The second thing on how is it just starts with listening. It's it's not like rocket science. I don't, I don't think I could fill a 200-page book with um, empathy. Maybe I could. I don't know. But... 
It just starts with really listening to people and listening, not just what they're saying, but what they mean. Because for example, when the customer had the broken ice maker and they're distraught, what they're saying is my ice maker's broken, but what they mean is I'm in pain. I am distressed. I need someone to help me. I need someone to care about me. So you've got to listen, not just for the vocal, uh, expression, but also the sentiment behind it. Like, what are they meaning? What do they say? And then when you're looking for a response to their problem, to their pain, something that will show your empathy, just read their mind. Just tell, just speak out loud the thing that they are probably thinking to themselves. Yeah. For example, this sucks is probably something that's happening in a customer's mind. So go ahead and say to the customer, Oh, that sucks. That's so frustrating. And you know what they're going to say? Yes. Thank you for saying that. That's exactly what's happening in my brain. This is frustrating. This is horrible. This is terrible. So number one, understand why I need to empathize. Number two, uh, listen deeply, not just to what is said, but to what is meant. And number three, simply express what the customer is probably thinking in their mind. Just say the words that are happening in their head. Because once you vocalize what they are thinking, number one, you look like a mind reader, which is awesome. And number two, uh, people just feel like, yes, you yeah. get it. Yeah. You know, that's that's what I need. There's something really important here that I think we've stumbled upon, which which I, th- I think is just good to say about sales and persuasion more broadly, which is, okay, think of it like this. There's like, there's kind of like two picture this, you've you've got two things that you're trying to deliver. You've got your empathy and you've got your offer. Your offer is like, this is what we do. This is why we're the best. Here's our process. Here's our quality control. Here's our team. Here's our price. These are all the great systems we use. This is the great equipment we invested in. Like that's our, this is sort of like the, the, the thing that you are, that you've built and then you also have the empathy, which is like your ability to be like, I get you, I feel you, I know you, I have been where you've been. I can I can't literally read your mind, but I can put your put myself in your shoes, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> My experience selling things is that it's act like though if we put those two things on a scale, they're both critically important. You absolutely need both. But I actually think the empathy thing weighs a little bit more heavily. And if you're really struggling with sales or conversion, I think most people are very quick to go to their offer. And they're like, our website sucks. Our brand sucks. The copy sucks. All that's probably true. It does suck. But if you want low-hanging fruit, I would just start on the empathy. I would just start on the empathy because it's free. Like it's not – you don't need to hire a graphic designer or a brand consultant or like redo a bunch of stuff. You just you just like be a little bit more patient, a little bit more listening on the phones or in the meetings or whatever. And that's like the first thing to fix. So empathy versus offer. Mm-hmm. Start with the empathy. Then you can build up the offer. Amen, brother. Yeah, you agree? I mean do you – I could rant about this for, for – we could do five podcasts yeah, on this yeah. topic. Okay. There's I'm glad a, you agree. Uh, I'll just I'll just briefly say one thing to to tag onto that, which is anytime a company becomes obsessed with the offer or the process of the system, like we need to optimize this, we need to fix this part of the website. Oh, this thing's broken. This is annoying. We're never going to be able to grow if we don't fix this annoying little tiny materialistic thing. Anytime companies are overly obsessed with that, it is a sign to me that we are in peacetime. We are in, we are just optimizing for luxuries and comfort. Right. Here. Because somebody else 
Somebody else did the hard work of building the magic money making machine. Yeah. And now everybody's just tinkering with it and, keep, and protecting it, keeping it safe. There, it is a fundamental sign that you have lost the growth mindset. Mm. The growth mindset is always driven by empathy because that's the only way you get results. As Zig Ziglar said, you can have anything you want in life if you help other people get what they want. It's all about empathy. Yeah. So I, yeah, once once you've lost empathy, once you've lost the growth mindset, now you're just optimizing for comforts and, and luxury. You're not growing. I love that idea of peace times. Yeah, it's like because when, when you move back into war times, it's like you're not you're not tinkering with that that shit yeah. anymore. You're like you're, get on the fucking phone. Sell, yeah, you're forced sell, to do yeah, what matters. Sell, sell some deals. Yeah, I know. Um, okay, let's move on. I, there's some other stuff I want to hit here. Would you, because you talked earlier about this idea of we hold, we hold them accountable. Like when you talk to people at trade shows and they ask what you do, you say this, and you talk about this idea of accountability and ensuring that every call gets done the absolute best way possible. When it comes to the accountability of a CSR or a call handler, whatever you call them in in, in your business there at home, uh, Zach, question for you is like, what kind of KPIs do you track that show you whether they are successful or not? You could track a ton of KPIs, but I like to keep it simple. I like to look at six basic KPIs. Uh, KPI number one is number of calls taken and made. Uh, self-explanatory, right? KPI number two is number of appointments booked. And number three is booking percentage. So obviously the percentage of those calls taken and made that actually became appointments. Uh, number four, I like to look at cross-sells, upsells, and service agreement sales. So what else are we giving our customers on the phone? How else are we empathizing with them and telling them what else they need? Can you just maybe no. uh, just unpack, just define cross-sell, upsell versus service agreement? What are those three things? Yeah, service agreement is you have an ongoing maintenance plan, right? Like, hey, Mr. Jones, how, are you going to be paying full price today or membership pricing today? Right. Mr. Jones goes, well, what's membership pricing? I say, well, we could take 10% off of the visit, waive the dispatch charge, uh, come out twice a year, do maintenance for X amount of dollars per month. You're That's opting them into a recurring revenue type of agreement. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And every every company should be doing some form of that, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, and you should be letting the people on the phone sell it. A lot of companies don't for some reason. They want the technician or the salesperson to do it. But again, that call handler talks to more, more customers than anyone else. You should yeah. be empowering them to do it. Cross-sells and upsells? Um, Cross-sells and upsells is upsell, right? If, if you're a heating and cooling company, it's selling the IAQ product on the phone as well. Like, hey, I noticed you haven't done this. Most of our customers do. I'm wondering why you haven't. Yeah, okay. Uh, if you're going back to like the landscaping example, you know, like, hey, we're putting in some uh, putting in some curbing and mulch over there in that area. Uh, I noticed you haven't looked into like shrubbery or bushes or trees or I haven't heard about a drip line. What's yeah. the status on those projects? And then cross-sells is... You sell an entirely different service. You know, you're a plumbing HVAC company and uh, somebody calls with a heat and cooling problem. You say, how's everything going with your plumbing right now? Do you have anything we can look at there? And the customer says, oh, you know what I do? I have a leaky faucet upstairs. Right. Or you could even say to the customer, hey, our technicians are always keeping their eye out for ways we can help you save money, improve the efficiency of your home. Uh, would you be open to him sharing any of the things that he discovers while he's out there? And then you've opened the door for the technician to cross sell and upsell when he's out there. Okay, cool. That, th thanks for the definitions. What are what are the the final two KPIs that you track? Uh, yeah, the final two KPIs are average talk time. So how long is the phone call going? And average time before answer. So how many times is it ringing? How long are we letting our customers sit there before we get to them? 
Are there softwares that help track this stuff? Like it would not be possible to just like do all this manually. There's got to be some plugin or something. <laughs> like what's what's usually used? Yeah. Uh, Service Titan Phones Pro does this. Cool. Uh, call Call Rail Call Cap. There's there's options out there for some for yeah, some of them are, is motivated. They could Google this and find some stuff that they could yeah. bolt into their system. Okay. Yeah, those are the three we work most with though. Um, I want to just mention one, and this is you brought it up earlier. Is the concept of detail capture? There is information shared on the phone that needs to be stored somewhere and communicated to someone else ninety nine percent of the time. Um, how good is the average call handler at capturing every detail? And what are the things you find yourself working on most with them to do a better job of it? Well, it changes with seasonality because it's much more difficult when things are busy. If yeah. the phones are ringing off the hook, then the the amount of details that gets missed goes up because you know, you're drowning in phone calls. Like you're taking 100 calls a day. It's mm -hmm. insanity. So in terms of working with people on capture, this is such a difficult topic to like to train on because every company is so, again, people are so picky about how they process everything, mm -hmm. uh, but they're less picky about the stuff that matters more, like the relationship, the connection, the, the salesmanship and conversion, right? They're, but they're very picky about the process side of it. So for example, one roadblock we run into all the time is that if a call handler picks up the phone, Generally, the CRM that they're using will not let them do anything until they have gotten that customer's address, which is a terrible customer experience. Like you've got a customer calling in with a broken air conditioner. It's 102 degrees outside. They're, they're a mess. And the first word out of your mouth is, okay, what's your address? Right. That's really like, interesting. The connection is gone. The reassurance is gone. The empathy is gone. You've just jumped right into the logistics. And now you know what that customer's predominant concern is going to be? Price. So the CRMs that we're generally working with have already set us up for a difficult path because the user experience is generally not in line with the customer experience on the other end of the phone. Mm -hmm. um, so I always advocate for to get, as, to get all the information possible, split the call up into four phases. Phase number one, greeting. Phase number two, connection. Phase number three, logistics. Give them a positive greeting, takes five seconds. Listen to them and build a connection. Hey, what's going on? Tell me more about that. Oh, I hate that, that's so frustrating. Takes you 15 to 20, maybe 30 seconds. Now we're in logistics mode. When you're in logistics mode, get all the information at once. Mm -hmm. Don't spread it throughout the call. Way too many CSRs have a problem of hopping back and forth between so when do you want us to come out? Okay, now tell me again what's going on in the home. Oh yeah, I see. All right, now what was your zip code, by the way, John? And what's your email address? So explain to me one more time what's happening with that system. Where in the home is it located? And they're hopping back and forth between logistics and listening. That They keep jumping around. You need to get all the logistics at once. Just like checklist that thing. You know, okay, Mr. Jones, we're gonna get you on the schedule, but first I just need to grab a couple pieces of information. First, address phone number, email, brand of equipment. How old is the equipment? Your checklist, get it all at once. CSRs will miss details if they are spreading the details out throughout the conversation. Just get it all at the same time. Um, what was the fourth? What was the fourth phase? Greeting, 
connection, logistics, uh, and send off like closure. Got it. Got it. You know, we, we've got you booked. Your appointment is scheduled for this time. We thank you so much for calling. You know, that's a very interesting, um, and, and the order matters a great deal. These are not, this is not arbitrary. It's, it, it is that order every time for a very specific reason. I think the concept of not having it all condensed rather than spread out, um, makes sense to me. And I think it's better. It's a better flow for that, for that customer. I'll tell you one thing that that really reminds me of here. Here's an, like little post COVID nuance that I absolutely hate. I don't know if this is the case in the States as much. Um, there's a number of big like chain restaurants here in Canada, Cactus Club, Joey's, Earl's, um, there'd be 10 others that I'm, I'm not going to bother naming, but you, you know, like the big ones that are, they have one or two in every city. Um, I don't know why. I think they're doing this so that they can do text message promo and do some tracking. And I'm sure it was like one of these things they that just kind of slipped it under the guise of public health that still exists. When you go to these restaurants and you're greeted by the hostess, the first they just go, "Welcome to this Cactus Club. What's your phone number?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm here to eat. You don't need that. Like this is like it like." You know, I'm I'm not some trust me. I'm not some like paranoid like schizophrenic who thinks something shady. I'm just like it's just like that's just not what I'm here. Like that's not what this is about. Like totally. I want <laughs> I want a steak and some fries, not for not to like give my contact information up. And I so I, as a consumer, and I you know I understand these are different businesses, but just as a consumer, I find that. Um, that like order of information quite jarring because it's like I'm coming to this call to or I'm coming to this establishment to eat and have a nice time and you're hitting me with like legit you know in your example that would be like logistical stuff that just doesn't feel like it matters right now uh so anyway I don't know it just that just reminds me of that feeling I'm like dude like you don't need that and it's I think the same thing on the, on the call it's like listen to me vent let me be frustrated uh empathize with me for a second and then yeah sure I'll give you my address I'll give you my 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 best time of day the problem the this and that I'll probably even give you my credit card uh over the phone if you've done a good job of those earlier things but um yeah. anyway that that those are all really really great points about how to structure that call I like that idea of the phase um have you noticed a difference between what kind of people really thrive in call handling roles uh, as or, or in customer support roles and what kind of people really struggle? Is there a profile that makes for success in these positions? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, it's funny when you mentioned that about the restaurant, because uh, honestly, that's a, that's a good articulation of what makes a good customer service representative is how quickly do they jump to the logistics? Mm. Like how quickly are they getting into the, the details? Um, number one is, are they empathy driven? Everything you you'll notice that everything I'm talking about comes, comes back to being driven by empathy mm -hmm. for the person on the other end, not driven by what you need to accomplish. It's not what you need to say. It's what they need to hear. It's not what you need to do. It's the job they need to fulfill. So I'm looking for people who are driven by empathy and who are very curious and interested. Uh, there's the DISC profile assessment, uh, DISC, right, that uh, a lot of companies do. And we find a lot of people in that I and S category of the DISC profile to be uh, great CSRs because they're, they're not very confrontational. They're mostly just service-minded. You know, they want to get, uh, they want to get people taken care of. Yeah. 
Um, they're enthusiastic. They're collaborative. They're very good supporters. Yeah. So I like to tell people who are hiring and recruiting, uh, get a couple, get a handful of business cards, stuff them in your pocket, and just go shop around the fast food chains for the afternoon. Right? You're going to spend your whole day optimizing some job ad on Indeed or ZipRecruiter that no one's going to read. Instead, have somebody in your office do that, and you go out and just visit all the fast food chains. Start with Chick Fil A, go to go to all the others, and when you see somebody who shines, who's got that positive, warm, glowy attitude, hand them your business card. Tell them you'd like to interview them for a job. Because I'll tell you what, if somebody in the restaurant business who can maintain a positive, upbeat attitude with all of that pressure, if, if they can maintain that kind of attitude there in that environment, you could, you could create a better environment for them than that. Yeah. You could pay them better than that. Yeah. We're almost out of time here, but I want to ask you like a quick hits, like... Um, somebody's listening to this. They're like, this is all good. I'm going to work on it, but I'm looking for three like overnight, like yeah, they want some magic bullets. Like what are some fast to implement ways to boost your conversion percentage, boost your booking percentage, uh, in your office, uh, in your business when, it, you know, f- for the listener, like what are, what are three, um, really easy things to, to get going on right away that deliver a result? Yeah, three things, quick and easy. Number one, pay your call handlers more. Most of us make our call handling jobs sound like prison sentences. And then we pay them like 12 to 15 bucks an hour and we expect them to go out there and book 100% of our jobs. You're kidding yourself. Pay them more. Treat it like it's a real career. Uh, That's number one. Number two, listen to their phone calls. Most of us are recording our phone calls. Some of you might not be recording your phone calls. Start doing that. Start recording calls and listening to them. If it says this call may be recorded for quality assurance, is that happening? Are you doing quality assurance? If you pay them more and you start listening to their phone calls and you, number three, give them time. Mm. Just meet with them. Sit down with them once a week, every two weeks. Do something to show them attention. Don't give them your leftovers. Don't treat them like second-class citizens of the company. Mm -hmm. Treat them like the voice of the company. It's all just treating them the way you want them to treat your customers. Um, Pay them more. Listen to those recorded calls and spend time in meetings with them. These are not sort of like throwaway roles that uh, that like belong in the basement of the organization and get no attention. They're extremely pivotal positions to the success of the company. The efficiency of your marketing spend. I mean, how much is your business spending to get the leads that you need? And then you're squandering a bunch of them because the calls are being handled badly. Like this is a no brainer. Uh, Zach, this has been so enlightening, dude. Where can people get get in touch with you guys. If, if there's a listener right now who's like has a um, like a C minus level call center that they're really frustrated with and they wanted to fix it quickly, where would they go to connect with you guys? I share this link only with people who listen to me on podcasts. That's powersellingpros.com slash free, F-R-E-E. If you go there, you can get 17 free training videos for your call call center uh, training samples, we call them. And so if you've got a C-minus call center, that's a great place to start. Just go put your information in there. That's where you can find us. Thanks for being here today, man. We will link that below so that you listening can click it. Um, uh, thank you so much for your time, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you on the road sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben.
Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 